0: Hey, Rarecast listeners. I wanted to tell you about a new program from Global Genes called Data DIY. Access to data is essential for advancing the understanding and treatment of rare diseases. The challenge for patient advocates and organizations is to be as savvy about data as researchers and clinicians. The Global Genes Data DIY program teaches organization leaders. How to Become Empowered Data Owners and Stewards. If you'd like to learn more about the program, intend an upcoming data DIY workshop, or view resources, go to globalgenes.org forward slash data DIY. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is Rarecast. Loughlin grew up with three older brothers with the rare lysosomal storage disorder MPS-2 or Hunter syndrome. The experience of seeing the demands on her mother led her to create Angel Aid Cares, an organization that seeks to support and connect caregivers and help them learn to care for themselves while caring for others. We spoke to Laughlin about the challenges caregivers face, why they often neglect their own needs and how her organization seeks to help them. Crystal, thanks for joining us.
1: Oh, it's great to be here, Danny.
0: We're going to talk about rare disease caregivers, your own experience growing up with three brothers with a rare genetic condition, and your efforts to address the needs of caregivers through your organization, Angel Aid. Let's start with your own experience growing up, though. You had three older brothers, all of whom had MPS-2 or Hunter syndrome. Can you explain what MPS-2 is, how it progresses, and the types of medical issues your brothers faced?
1: Sure, absolutely. So MPS-2, also known as Hunter's, is um, it's a lysosomal storage disorder. And basically the babies are born normal. Um, they look beautiful and perfect. Um, Unfortunately, they have a genetic mutation that causes um, their body to have an inability to break down certain types of glucose in their system. So they're missing an enzyme. And what that does is build up like a gummy substance in their vital organs and their bones um, and often in their brain. Um, I describe mucopolysaccharidosis in layman's terms. So muco is mucus, poly is a lot, and saccharidosis is sugar. So really these children just have an inability to rid themselves of, of uh, certain types of sugars.
0: What did you know about their condition growing up?
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I'm the youngest of five. Uh, my oldest brother is uh, still alive and does not have... The disease uh, type two of MPS uh, is X-linked, meaning the mothers are a carrier, and their sons have a 50/50 chance of being affected by the disease. Uh, the daughters have a 50/50 chance of being a carrier. All the other types of MPS you would require a recessive gene from both the mother and the father um, for the disease to express itself, and Because of that, we didn't actually know. Uh, My mother did not know that she was a carrier of NPS disease. She um, and my father wanted to have a a large family. They had a basketball team of kids really before they uh, got confirmation from the pediatrician that some of the delayed development and some of the symptoms that they were starting to see when the boys were, you know, three, four, five years old, uh, were actually the result of a rare genetic condition called Hunter syndrome. So for me, growing up with them, my mom just would throw us in the backyard and we would play in the way that kids do. Um, even though they did not have the ability to um, to speak and communicate in the way that other children might, as you know, as their sibling, I could always tell if they were happy or sad, um, frustrated or mad. Um, Kids just have a way of, you know, communicating beyond um, all of the physical and and verbal ways that uh, maybe adults would understand. So we had a really joyous time for many many years as a family. Um, as the boys were getting older and it was um, sort of turning the corner on their development into more of a degenerating um, situation. We had to bring in full-time nursing care, and that really kind of changed changed the family dynamic for sure.
0: Well, was your mother the primary caregiver, and what types of issues did you see her encounter?
1: Yes. So she was for many years. Um, We had a lot of support from our community, um, including neighbors um, and the Relief Society and our church would come in during the day to pro- provide care um, alongside my mother. Uh, if you can imagine having five children and, um, you know, four four of us were in diapers, which was really um, unexpected and, and kind of untenable for one person. My father was off um, at work and, um, you know, to have a nine-year-old, a seven-year-old, a five-year-old, and me, at, you know, at two in diapers was really just um, really, really difficult. And in the evening hours, of course, it was just my mom. And I, I actually learned recently that it was my mom and my brother. So my brother used to stay up late, late into the night or wake up early in the morning to help my mom um, with my brothers, uh, clear their throats from any sort of um phlegm buildup that they had or often high fevers.
0: Um
1: so that went on for year after year after year and then it became clear that um we were gonna need some some more support than that. Um and that's when the nursing care uh, we were fortunate to you know to have that assistance. Eventually they they were um admitted as as all three brothers at the same time into um, our local, um, assisted living, uh, facility. And, um, and they did, they did eventually pass away bedridden, um, in, in the hospital.
0: I know you were younger. Did any of the caregiving burden ever fall on you?
1: Well, you know, it really didn't. It's, it's interesting that you, that you would bring that up. Um, I have really vivid memories of um, playing with my brothers, and I have very vivid memories of um, attending their funerals. Um, And I remember visiting them often in the hospital. Um, I don't remember carrying this sort of deep burden of um, of the actual act of caregiving for them. I think my mother really, you know, as the primary caregiver spared uh, me from that as much as possible. What I did witness was the effects on her um, both when they were still alive and then for many decades afterwards. And that really has become the foundation for the services that we provide um, through Angel Aid Cares is this deep understanding that um, the chronic stress of caregiving has a a profound effect on the family and specifically on the individual, which in this case is my mother. So so providing support and understanding of how to um, really take care of herself um, didn't come into play until much later in life, so she I knew <laughs> back then when I was in, in the thick of it. I wish I knew how to ask for help. I wish I knew what I could have done from a health and wellness standpoint for myself, um, and you know, we've used that, that input and that guidance to develop some of our programs, um, as well as our partnership with Indiana University. So we've been surveying moms across America and asking their input on what sort of services would be, um, you know, useful and meaningful in their role as a primary caregiver. And we've had some just really incredible responses.
0: Well, let's talk about Angel Aid. What exactly is Angel Aid?
1: So Angel Aid exists to source um, research relief and inspiration for mothers of children with rare disease. And those three pillars sort of inform each other. So on the research side, there simply isn't enough research on the effect of long-term caregiving um, on on the primary caregivers. So we have a whole lot of research uh, obviously focused on the patient um, and very little research focused on um the caregiving component, specifically the social, emotional, financial, and physical impacts on um, the primary caregiver, which in the case of angel aid cares, we focus on the mothers. Um, on the relief side, we have uh based on the research that we've been doing with Indiana University School of Social Work, we've released a series of programs around um both in-person and online uh, relief. So by relief, we mean retreats, specifically respite care, um, stepping away when possible and really understanding that not every caregiver has that ability or that luxury. But when we can, um, bringing in small groups of mothers of rare disease into a retreat environment to learn the... Um, the the self-coping mechanisms and uh, the sort of daily rituals that they can put into play to support themselves after the retreat is over and they've gone back into their home environment. So we focus on meditative practices um, using um, jewelry and clothing as sort of visual reminders of uh, being supported and how to have conversations with members of their community, um, family, church, uh, neighbors, friends, really just how to ask for help. The assumption is that um, individuals know how to, you know, that moms know how to get the help that they need. And, there's certainly, you know, a subset of moms that are really vocal about the support that they need, but the vast majority are really suffering in silence and um, sort of isolated in their role as caregiver. So in addition to the retre- retreats and, um, and the release that we provide there, we also have um, private online support groups. So we have been moderating uh, a Facebook group. With uh, volunteer mental health and social work um, professionals, but also health and wellness experts from all over the country that um, that you know join in the conversation and provide either through Facebook Live or um, through uh, through recorded sessions, you know these kind of self care and, and self relief exercises, ritualized self care exercises. Um, so yeah, those are those are sort of the three pillars. We're seeing some really incredible success, and we're excited to continue to grow the program.
0: You had mentioned the work you had done with Indiana University School of Social Work. What have you learned? Were there any surprises from those surveys?
1: Absolutely. Well, we made a decision um, early on. So first of all, the partner, the partnership with Indiana University. School of Social Work is with their master's program. So we are actually working with master's students to have um, video conversations with moms. We felt that it was important, instead of just releasing um, an online survey of 10 questions, um, which would give us sort of quantitative results, we wanted more qualitative. We wanted more... Um, uh, kind of long-form answers from the moms, you know, we wanted to really have a conversation about some of these topics. And so to answer your question, what we learned is a whole bunch of things, uh, but primarily moms want to be listened to without judgment. They would like to connect with other mothers, not necessarily specifically in their um, specific rare disease, but other mothers that have a child with rare disease that are in that sort of quagmire of not getting answers that they desperately need and want and how to actually cope with that, um, um, frustration of not, of not always getting answers of dealing with constant change. So, um, so really connection and community and, um, and really mother-to-mother mentoring. So in, in having uh, these conversations, you know, there's a recognition that really just being listened to by someone that has deep empathy that's going through the experience can make a difference. Um, and we found that these moms really understand that uh, because, you know, they're spread out all over the country and the world. This needs to be a mechanism that can be supported virtually. So it just isn't feasible to bring everybody together in person. Um, Our moms are on Facebook. The vast majority are on Facebook. And um, so we are using that as the platform right now to bring them together.
0: Given that we're dealing oftentimes with genetic diseases to a large extent, do you ever find that there are feelings of guilt that... Mothers somehow feel responsible for passing on genetic mutations that are driving their children's diseases. Is that something these mothers deal with in either overt or subtle ways?
1: Well, sure. I mean, and and this is almost like the hangnail effect, right? So mothers feel guilty about everything, right? I can speak from from experience as women were were the center point of. The family, um, we're carrying the, um, you know, the the, the emotional uh, responsibility of, of of guiding the family, not only for our affected children but our unaffected children, uh, for our relationship with our spouse, whether that be husband or other, uh, you know, often carrying roles at work, carrying roles um, as a caregiver. Um, and so, so anytime the family unit is put off balance, um, there is a deep tendency for women and for mothers in particular to take ownership and take responsibility, um, you know, for that. And, and what we really focus on is understanding, um, even just messaging that this is not a fault-based experience that that question of why me or what did I do um, to cause this to happen is is actually not going to be a productive question um to, to spend a lot of time it's it's really spend a lot of time thinking about. It's really important that these moms understand um, that 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 this is not their fault, that this is uh is in fact um a situation that uh, came about uh, unexpectedly, but can bring absolute beauty into their lives. Um, one of the thing of things that I know from personal experience is that suffering breeds empathy, that you can't actually empathize with someone else that's going through any sort of deeply impacting experience unless you've had some love. You can sympathize, but actually empathizing heart to heart with the pain that someone else is going through comes from from your own experience of pain. And so we talk a lot with our moms about really looking outside of their experience, uh, coming together in community with other women really helps. So that they can see that they're not alone and not isolated in this experience, that, that there are other mothers going through it. And I'll tell you the mothers that really resonate are the veteran moms. So the moms that have, that have been in the journey the longest, they've suffered great loss, um, potentially even the loss of their child. And our veteran moms, um, and, and I don't mean war veterans, I mean moms that have that, that have had a child with rare disease that have been in the struggle for a long, long period of time, those moms just have that, that wisdom, right? That ancient um, depth of knowledge and experience and calm and comfort um, to some of our more newly diagnosed mothers. And so it's one of the reasons why mother to mother mentoring is such a critical component of the services that we offer because like no one else can another mother help share the burden.
0: What do you find the biggest challenge you face in working with moms who are caregivers? Is it that they don't have other people who can fill in for them so they can take a break from caregiving to address their own needs or is it more a matter of needing permission to do that? Is there resistance to acknowledging their own needs?
1: Yes, absolutely. I mean, you, you, you just outlined the, the range of what we hear, right? But I would say first and foremost is that resistance. Is that um, that feeling of if I if I step away. I'm not um, honoring my child. And so what we spend a lot of time talking about is sustainable motherhood, that this is not um, uh, like some other type of illness, a starting point and an end point, and you just need to get through a brief period and get to the other side, that this is actually um, important to accept as as really a new reality, a new normal. And in that context, um, self-care is critical. And it's really interesting, you know, some people talk about uh, self-care. Self-care in other conversations isn't really a known word. Uh, We found that in our survey um, experience. So we've we've really defined self-care as anything that is adding to versus taking away. Whether it's energetically or physically, um, emotionally, financially, self-care is doing the things that you need to do to put yourself back in harmony, and that may be as simple as recognizing and giving permission, as you mentioned, Danny. Um, it may be um, asking for that extra hour a day or even minutes a day, stepping. Um, stepping back to take a moment and reframe some of the activities that you're doing on a daily basis can be a real source of self-care. So an example of that would be, you know, most of us are making some sort of hot beverage in the morning. Um, Actually stepping back almost in the Japanese style and um, focusing on making that beverage as some sort of nourishing component to your day. So really choosing, um, the coffee or the tea very carefully, um, you know, choosing an organic coffee if you're a coffee drinker, uh, choosing um, an herbal tea that has some sort of um, medicinal health effect uh, on on your specific body, and then taking the time to prepare the tea, really think thoughtfully about how that tea or coffee will nourish your body, and um, and taking a few extra moments. To slow your breathing and actually, you know, breathe into the warmth of the cup in your hand. Um, some of our moms actually light a candle and use that five minutes a day as just a few moments of self care, just grounding, um, can make an incredible difference on the outlook of the rest of your day. So I'll give you some specific numbers. One of the things we found in the Indiana study is that. The mothers that had the highest sense of well-being on a scale of one to ten, feeling the most supported in their journey as a rare disease mother and caretaker, those mothers had the highest number of hours a week in self-care. So we, we know that there's a correlation between taking the time to ground yourself and feeling that sense of well-being. What we need to do is document the correlation between that sense of well-being and actual outcomes on the family. So, so we haven't gone that far yet. That's the next phase of our research. And, you know, nirvana would be sense of well-being for the caregivers and outcomes on clinical trials and treatment. Then we'd really be hitting, you know, hitting our stride. But we're we're taking it steps at a time.
0: And is there a starting point you recommend for caregivers to kind of get in touch with themselves and the, the pressures they may be feeling?
1: Absolutely. So the, so, so the primary starting point is breathing. We, it sounds so simple, um, but taking three deep breaths and I recommend doing an alm at the end. And you know what, Danny? I, I think we can model this. I think we can do this. Will you do this with me right now? I'd, I'd like to guide you through and, and our listeners a, a deep breathing exercise. Can we do this together?
0: If, if it makes you oh. happy.
1: Okay, thank you. Okay. So I'm going to ask you to uncross your legs, set down your pens, anything in your hands, and close your eyes. And we're going to breathe three times together. And the third time, we're going to alm on the exhale. Breathe in. And exhale. And a deep breath into your belly. And a deep exhale. And the last deep breath. And
0: um I'm too relaxed to go on. So with that, thank you, Crystal Laughlin, <laughs> founder and CEO of AngelAid. Thanks for your time today.
1: Thank you very much, Danny. I look forward to connecting with you and any of your audience. Please visit us at angelaidcares.org. We'll do some more deep breathing together.
0: Thanks for listening. For more information about rare disease and to connect to the rare disease community, go to globalgenes.org. To keep up on the latest news and trends affecting the rare disease community, be sure to visit raredaily.org. You can subscribe to the Rarecast RSS feed through raredaily.org or through SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast manager. The Rarecast is produced for Global Genes by the Levine Media Group. You can also find our podcast, The BioReport, on these popular podcast sites. Our theme music is composed by Jonah Levine and performed by the Jonah Levine Collective. We'd love to hear from you. Drop us a note at Danny at LevineMediaGroup.com.